ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I love a bath. There's something relaxing, releasing and maybe even a little holy about immersing yourself in very hot water. But there are baths that are genuinely holy. They're called mikvehs and they're ritual baths used primarily by married Orthodox Jewish women to cleanse themselves and get back to a state of purity after they menstruate. In Melbourne, there's a mikveh called Chaya Mushka Mikveh, but it's better known as Timmy's Mikveh. When do you think you became known as the mikveh lady? How long did it take for you to move from Timmy Rubin, the one who runs the mikveh, to sort of the mikveh lady? Oh, it probably lady. took a few years. Yeah. I grew into it. I, uh, oh, my goodness. At the beginning, it was like faulty towers, you know, with all the rooms and sometimes getting mixed up and putting somebody into the wrong one. And and you still greeting everyone with a hello, darling? Is that your opening line? Always. Still? Yeah. Always. Hello, my darling. Always. Everybody has become darling. In that spirit, hello, my darlings. This is Days Like These, and I'm Father Draki. Hannah Rish, a bath lover like myself, tells us how Timmy Rubin went from hippie wild child to the mikvah lady. Timmy Rubin was born in Melbourne in 1956, and her parents' lives, like so many in Melbourne's Jewish community at the time, were shaped by trauma, in this case the big capital T trauma of the Holocaust. Some responded to this trauma by turning inwards and embracing orthodoxy, while others, like Timmy's parents, instead chose to give their children a looser, more secular childhood. I definitely didn't have many boundaries. Not only was I allowed to have lots of boyfriends growing up, but all my closest friends who were nurtured by my parents, who had strict parents or parents that had been through concentration camps, so they were very busy working, who came to Australia with nothing. So our house was the cool house, and that's where all the boys and girls got together and met. So it was a blast. I very much love being a wild one. What did you think of Orthodox people? Oh, I couldn't really relate. I didn't have contact with any Hasidic or super, super Orthodox people. And I had preconceived ideas that they were narrow-minded and very black and white and dogmatic. Instead of living in that world, Timmy spends all her free time at her Jewish youth movement. Now, just a note about Jewish youth movements like the one Timmy went to. They aren't like church youth groups. Most of them aren't about God. Instead, they revolve around some version of Zionism. In Timmy's case, it was socialist Zionism and involves summer camps where young Jews debate political ideas in the rare moments that they aren't sucking face. These youth movements become an indelible part of your identity. It was Judaism for the flower child generation. And if things had been wild and loose before, they reached another level when Timmy's parents split up. I loved risks, loved living on the edge, but sometimes it just got a bit too wild. It was very much sex, drugs, rock and roll, etc., etc. Look, there's a lot in that, etc., etc. But suffice to say, it was the 70s. 
I remember I would go to parties and have the best time of my life, had an absolute ball feeling, popular feeling, alive, heady. But by the time Timmy is in her 20s, she's feeling like, despite all the wild times, something is lacking. And then I'd wake up the morning after and I'd feel a bit down. It was like, what's next? It got to the point where I couldn't really look at myself in the mirror. In a search for meaning, Timmy becomes a teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing and throws herself into romantic relationships. But the teaching doesn't feel like enough, and her relationships always seem to fizzle after the honeymoon period. Then one day... I was in the shower, and all of a sudden, the doorbell rang. So in those days, I just turned off the shower, put on a towel, went to the front door and opened the door, and at the door was a chassid. A chassid is an Orthodox Jew, and this particular chassid turned out to be a gardener sent by Timmy's landlord to do some work on her garden. So there's Timmy, in only a towel, talking to a very pious man. This is extremely awkward. But despite that, Timmy, in what I've discovered is classic Timmy fashion, eventually overcomes this awkward encounter and later lands an invite to the chassid gardener's Sabbath dinner. And what is a typical Melbourne Jewish girl who's invited to a religious family on the Sabbath? You drive, you park around the corner. Religious Jews don't drive on the Sabbath, so Timmy had to hide the car. I get this. It's like when the rabbi would pay a random visit to my family's home growing up and we would have to hide all the non-kosher food about the place. The first thing Timmy notices when she walks into the gardener's place are the portraits of old men on the walls. And I'm thinking, oh, they're so lucky. They've got so many grandparents. (laughs) For kids of Holocaust survivors, grandparents are few and far between. But anyone brought up in an Orthodox Jewish household would have known that those weren't photos of a bunch of grandparents. Instead, Timmy's looking at the leaders of the Chabad Lubavitcher movement, a sect of Orthodox Jews based out of the US. Timmy, wild, immodest, though wearing more than a towel this time, is sitting down with some of the most orthodox people around. So when I was at that meal, which I really enjoyed, I mean, not not only was it a sumptuous meal, but they didn't talk gossip. They didn't talk about sport. They talked much more deeply and they started talking about the soul. And the gardener imitated an old rabbi, his name was Reb Zalman Serebransky, and it was funny with a deep, strong Russian accent. You're not in this physical world by accident. Everything that you say, every action in this lower physical world has a ripple effect in the upper worlds. Up until this Sabbath meal, Timmy had already spent a lot of time searching for enlightenment. You know, lots of New Age classes, the odd spiritual teacher visiting from India. Look, I've been going to meditation and yoga and I went to this Guru Baba Muktananda one day and none of it really spoke to me. Reb Zalman Serebransky, he of great wisdom and the superb Russian accent, had a weekly class in Orthodox studies for women. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just try. So the next Monday night, Timmy goes to Reb Zalman's flat and he's flanked by this circle of very religious Jewish ladies wearing wigs and bulletproof stockings. And there was me just trying to cover up as much as I could. 
The rabbi was teaching from a book of Hasidic philosophy called the Tanya, which is the foundation of Kabbalah, that strand of Jewish mysticism that led Madonna and all those other celebrities to don red bracelets in the 2000s. The first chapter of Tanya was all about the Jewish soul and that it's made up of a godly soul and an animal soul and an intellectual soul. And that the animal soul, me, 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 I want, I want, I want to be popular, I want to be famous, I want food, I want drink, I want to be gorgeous, I want da-da-da-da-da. And then there's the godly soul, which is the part of your soul that wants to attach to something higher, to God. And I remember saying to him, but my animal soul is huge. It's like a semi-trailer and it's been running me. And he said, don't worry, Timmy. Don't worry. As big as your animal soul, as big is the potential of your godly soul. You just have to keep learning and doing the mitzvot, which are the precepts from the Torah. Timmy wasn't completely sold, but something kept drawing her back to Reb Zalman's classes. He was an older man in his 70s, but I couldn't stop thinking about him. I was spiritually in love with him. I really fell in love with this older chassid with a beard, with the tzitzis, the strings hanging out, with the skull cap, but he walked the talk. He had the strongest boundaries and discipline of any man that I had ever met in my entire life. And he taught me that everybody has their shlichut, which is your calling. This was a serious world, a godly world. And while the classes and the Reb were making some inroads, Timmy was still battling her animal soul and not always winning. It was that part of her that led her on a whim to take a year off teaching. And like hordes of obnoxious Westerners that had come before her, Timmy and her friends go to the Indian party town, Goa. It was colourful. It was beautiful. You could smell the most incredible spicy food. I'd been to the bakery and I was sitting on the beach and I had a bag with me and I'm just sunbaking and hanging out with my friends and I felt something nuzzling under my arm and then I realised that a cow was eating my loaf of bread. It was another world. Then one night, Timmy is invited to a full moon party on the beach by the forest. It went all night. There was a whole group that would wear really, really very colourful clothing with headbands and sparkles everywhere and a lot of people, you know, were on something. It was warm and it was beachy and it was fun and it was loud and people were jiving and dancing and spinning out. And I was in it, but I was also away from it watching. And I don't know what I sniffed in the air or what somebody put in my drink, I don't know. And I remember having an epiphany. And the epiphany in this going party was how miraculous that we are born with a heart and lungs and kidney and hair and skin covering, you know, the sensitive parts of our bodies. Where does this come from? 
And I was thinking, I learned that we're not just a body, that we're spiritual beings, that we're not a physical body having a spiritual spiritual beings having a physical experience and only in this life for a very, very short time. I started to see the connectedness of all the souls and I realised there must be something higher. Call it God. Call it a higher being. Call it whatever you want. I found a tree and I put my arms around this tree and I felt that the tree was breathing. And I was thinking, this is God given too. The plants, trees, everything in the world, it was created by a being and I need to serve that being. As you mentioned, you thought someone slipped something into your drink. <laughs> you didn't perhaps take something. Everybody, everybody was taking everything and I don't know what I sipped or whatever. And I just started crying. I want to change direction and I want to find the other half of my soul. I had tears, happy tears, happy tears, feeling I was born with a Jewish soul. The next morning, Timmy doesn't wake up filled with regret, like the morning after all those parties when she was young. She also doesn't wake up and pick the splinters from her hands and think, oi, that moment with the tree was super strange. Oh, well, moving on, back to reality. Instead, Timmy sits with this new revelation, and later that year she goes to New York City, the true centre of the Jewish universe, to a synagogue and seminary for Jewish women to study Torah and Hasidic philosophy. She is fresh, or not so fresh, of a red-eye flight and has just gotten off the subway trying to find the seminary. And I had my backpack and I'm feeling like really independent. I felt so confident, Aussie backpacker, feeling on top of the world. It's pitch black, six o'clock in the morning, and I'm trying to find where to go and I'm walking and walking and I felt these steps behind me and I felt the steps get closer and then I turn around and then there's a boy. He had a knife oh. and he said, give me your money. And I thought, oh, my goodness. In those days, it was traveller's checks, cash and my passport. And I thought, if I give this to him, I'm a dead duck. And he had a knife near my throat. And I was wearing, it looked like a diamond, but it wasn't. And I said, I can't, I'm sorry, but I can't. He snatched the diamond, ripped it off my neck. I tried to kick him, you know where. (laughs) My shoe went flying on top of a car. I fell backwards with all my clothes and underclothes falling out of my backpack. Timmy is luckily rescued by some taxi drivers who took her to the right location, a few blocks away. And there I am in my little Harlequin dress from Goa, And I said, hello, my name's Timmy Friend. I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I've just been mugged. And so this rabbi takes his glasses down from the Psalms that he's reading and he goes, welcome to New York. Despite that rocky beginning, Timmy is trying. She's trying hard. But she's a feminist, a really independent woman who finds herself taking a class called The Jewish Home, which is about female modesty and women being at the centre of the home. But it's not totally comfortable for her. But what I could see was that in the religious Jewish community in Brooklyn, the women, they were often presidents 
of organisations, teachers, headmistresses, but they had all these kids as well. They were powerhouses. Still, it's not like Timmy finds this new way of living, this new belief system, a walk in the park. She's torn between two worlds. When you change, you don't change straight away. It's two steps forwards, three steps backwards. I was eating kosher food and then I'd run to Kentucky Fried down the street. Also, Timmy likes an argument. I remember with one Robertson teacher, she was talking about modesty, how a woman needs to cover her elbows and her knees and her collarbone. I go, why? And she said, well, look, if a man is studying Torah every day, he becomes so sensitised that he can be aroused by a woman's arm. And I said, yeah, but I've seen some men with short sleeves and I can get aroused by their arms. And she said, I think you've got a problem. And I said, I think you've got a problem. (laughs) Still, she keeps at it. Timmy planned to stay for a month, but ends up staying for a year at the seminary. And in that year, she finally silences, or at least quietens, her animal soul. Now all she needs to do is find the other half of her godly soul. I wanted to be a good wife and a good mother, and my parents had split. I didn't want a divorce. Mm. I wanted a man solid as the trunk of a tree. But I was already 29, and I'd only been observant for a few months. A lot of the single Hasidim, they've been religious for a long time, Mm. much longer than me. Despite her misgivings, she approaches a matchmaker, who then starts sending her out on dates. But while Timmy had killed dating in the secular world, she's struggling. I didn't know what was Jewish law, which is called halakha, and what was custom. And somebody told me that you shouldn't walk in front of a guy, like when you're walking, that he'll sort of see the movement of your backside. Now, if you're walking in a straight line, this is straightforward. Just don't walk in front. In a situation, say, with revolving doors, you'd have to wait for your date to get out and then follow him. But one date doesn't get the memo. And we went to Manhattan to go for a drink and there was revolving doors. So I was going round and round and I didn't know if I should get off. (laughs) And the next day she said, how was your date? I said, it was very dizzy. (laughs) Then one day she's in the matchmaker's office, flicking through a folder of profiles of eligible Hasidic bachelors, a 1986 version of the Jewish dating app JDate. And there's one with the gorgeous picture really handsome, but more importantly, there was a letter where he showed his mother was an artist, my father was an artist, he was a therapist, my mother was a social worker and a counsellor, therapist. And while I was looking at the profile, her phone rang and it was him. Maybe that was divine providence. So had he been looking for long? He'd been on He'd the He'd been looking for, for 10 years. He'd been going all around the world to find his other half. His name is Kalman, and he's living in Cleveland at the time, so they get to know each other over the phone. For hours, every day, for weeks. She soon discovers that the man she's falling for had, like her, his own hippie experimental phase. And like her, he'd moved on. He was so refined. He is so refined. He's a real refined chassid. And um, we went out for dinner one night when we were dating and he was too embarrassed to eat in front of me. Wow. So I ate my portion and his. 
Timmy marries her solid as the trunk of a tree man in Crown Heights, exactly a year after she arrived in New York. She soon had two young kids and was pregnant with a third, but she's feeling the tug of home, her family and friends. Six years after leaving for a wild time in India, she comes home, orthodox. A year after we got back, Reb Zolman, we just missed him. He passed away. His son then became our spiritual guide. And unbeknownst to us, he had built a spiritual bath called a mikvah in East St Kilda and asked me to run it and for my husband to take care of the water. There are a bunch of different reasons Orthodox women visit the mikvah. But the main reason is that when married women menstruate, they are considered impure and must refrain from touching their husbands during that time. After her period is finished, she has to wait seven whole days, still not touching her husband, and make sure she has no more bleeding and spotting. That night, she can go to the mikvah. After that, the couple can go wild once more. The first mikvah I ever saw was in Crown Heights when I was learning, and I was completely and utterly blown away because the whole concept of spiritual purity, it elevates the sexual act. For me, yeah, sex was sex, sex was love, but it could go all over the shop. And as one can see, if there's no boundaries with sexuality, terrible things can happen. Before a woman submerges in the mikvah waters, she has to be squeaky clean. I'm talking head to toe, washed hair, all makeup and nail polish off, nothing from the outside world. Then Timmy, the mikvah attendant, inspects her. And then she immerses in these special spiritual waters. It's not a swimming pool. It's not a spa. It's all the specifics are specified in the Torah, in the Old Testament. And she has to go completely under comes up, makes a blessing. And then goes under two more times and has her time with God where she meditates. And I see amazing things happen. I see women crying. I see women really get in touch with themselves and starting a new chapter. Sometimes a woman is going through something and she can't feel clean and this is her moment to then absolutely gather into herself and then whenever a woman comes out, I bless them. So often I'll bless them with a healthy, beautiful baby, especially if they've just lost one. And that's common. Kosher, v'yashar, kosher and straight. You've done it perfectly. You are completely immersed. Timmy, who has four kids and seven grandkids, and counting, she hopes, has been the mikvah lady for 31 years now. She found her shlichut, her calling. So I hope and pray that every night when I watch a woman go under and make her blessing, and then when I put the robe around her and touch her cheeks and bless her, that I'm doing something called tshuva, which is returning to your soul. How do you feel about boundaries these days? How do you feel about freedom? So what I learned is that what I thought was free, doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, with whoever I wanted, that wasn't freedom, that was slavery. Mm. I feel that boundaries give you freedom. 
When you can be disciplined, that is freedom. That was Timmy Rubin talking to reporter Hannah Reich about a full moon party in Goa that brought her to Orthodox Judaism. Hannah's never been to a full moon party herself, but her nearly two-year-old daughter's favourite bedtime book is Goodnight Moon. Sophie Townsend is our executive producer, and on a full moon, she likes to sip a glass of rosé and get to bed at a reasonable time. Sound engineer is Angie Grant, and she's been known to howl at the moon on occasion. I'm Fazadraki, and I'll see you at the next full moon party. This story was produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, Bunurong, Bunurong, and Gadigal peoples. If you haven't already, follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.